0: Welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson.
1: And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors.
0: Welcome back to another episode of what the HR In today's episode we're joined by Brittany Barrett who is an entrepreneur and marketing leader with an expertise in go to market and growth strategies at early stage startups. She is currently a co founder and chief revenue officer at Kinside, which is a childcare benefit for working parents. So in today's episode, um, we obviously talk a lot about childcare benefits given um, Brittany's um, expertise and passion around this particular topic. We touch on why the child care system is impacting, um, negatively impacting, frankly, working parents, especially those that are trying to return to the work post pandemic. Um, we, we have some good discussion around how it's not only affecting parents, but it's impacting employers and why employers should really strongly consider investing in child care benefits for their employee population. So it's an episode you won't want to miss. As always, if you are loving our episodes and our guests, please do us a huge favor go out to your favorite podcast platform leave us not only a rating but take an an extra couple of minutes to leave us a review because the combination of the rating and review really helps get the word out about the what the hr podcast and our awesome guests and make sure that this information gets in front of other hr professionals and business leaders we so appreciate you being a listener of the what the hr podcast and we really hope you enjoy this episode Well, Brittany, welcome to the What the HR podcast. We're really excited to have you today.
2: Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah. So we did a formal intro of you at the top of the episode, but um, if you could just give our listeners a little understanding of you and your background um, and also share a little bit about Kinside, if you will, please. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So I'm Brittany Barrett. I am the Chief Revenue Officer over at KinSide, and KinSide is a childcare platform uh, that connects working parents with open spots and to and tuition savings. Um, so, some of the inspiration for KinSide was just being in a company, seeing us lose so many employees due to the rising costs of childcare and the lack of availability. Um, and how and and affordability so we were inspired not only to create a child care benefit but solve some of the systemic issues that are actually behind that so looking at things like why there aren't enough spots why the spots that they have that are available are not affordable to those parents so solving issues like child care deserts um, affordability deltas and just an overall lack of transparency into inventory um, so we founded kinside several years ago out of y Combinator um, and have worked really hard to um, bring our service to over 3,000 employers now and hopefully 40,000 by the end of this year. Um, my background is bringing early stage startups to market, um, specifically uh, marketplaces. So I was one of the first employees at Washio. I also did a long stint um, running digital marketing over at Way Hair Care, which is a surprising departure. Um, but all that, uh, all that experience brought me to where I am now.
0: Could Talking you... Yeah. Could you um, expand just a little bit more on KIN side? So specifically are the services for um, parents that need support with their kiddos up until let's say school age, or do the services expand through school age for like before and after school care too?
2: zero to 12. So, um, you know, there's there's many, many instances where this will affect the employer and the parent over the course of those 12 years. So summer care is obviously a huge part of that child's care is never as simple as just like you wake up, you drop your kid off, you pick them up. Um, there's always you know, supplemental care needs. And we really want to create um, an environment that allows us to support working parents kind of for like, allow them the care that allows work to work, basically. So that includes that backup care, that summer camp, um, those after school programs, things like that. We've also recently introduced um, a partnership with Urban Sitter. We're calling Complete Care that gives working parents access to nannies, babysitters, uh, backup care, in-home backup care, elder care, even pet care, um, because we also see so many sandwich caregivers who have both young children and older parents. So we really are trying to cover all the bases, knowing that it's a patchwork that makes (laughs) work work. Mm -hmm. That was saying too many times in one sentence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, is this, so the platform is designed to for B2B it goes to an employer and then they offer that as a benefit to their employees am i getting that right
2: yeah so kinside is what's called a dual-sided childcare marketplace so we are available through employers exclusively so you can't get access to kinside outside of the employer based system um and then we also are working with those actual child care providers to be embedded inside of their workflows in order for us to surface their open spots in order to actually get enough information that we can you know, purchase priority spots on behalf of those employers, find space, to, like understand where their employees are searching for care, and then in some cases, even create new inventory in support of that um, and, Make that inventory align with the needs of their employees, from like a price standpoint, an extended hour standpoint, so all the things that you know make it a uh, try to be as accurate as possible in the inventory we're offering to align with their workforce needs. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. So when you were doing your introduction, you had talked about kind of the need for kinside. So I think a good way to get started is maybe some education around how the childcare system is really impacting working parents, especially those that maybe are trying to return to work post-pandemic.
2: Absolutely. So I mean, one, in what ways is childcare not impacting working parents? I know we have at least one working parent on this call, who I'm sure knows, but most families with children under five, especially, they're spending about 20% of their annual income on childcare. So since the start of the pandemic, we've actually seen those costs go up 42%. Um, So that's, A lot. That's just a huge, huge, huge burden on families. So parents and especially women are starting to make this decision where they're actually, they were already paying to go to work. But now they're wondering if like, the juice is really worth the squeeze there. As childcare becomes more expensive, it becomes less compelling to return to work because it's just negating the actual work that's going into that. Um, And you're kind of at like a net zero. So you can imagine that that is a really difficult choice that employees are having to make and working parents are having to make. And then on top of that, it's just really difficult to find care. In some cases, especially in childcare deserts, almost impossible. So over 60% of parents, I believe, it is, I believe it is, have described the process of even finding an opening as, as very or extremely difficult. Um, and the reason that is is because over the course of these last couple of years, as everybody knows, the childcare centers actually closed um, in many cases during the pandemic. So what we saw is that there's been a thirty percent. I'm sorry to throw all these numbers out here, but it really is like a it, it gives you a sense of of um, just how significant this issue is. But thirty percent of Inventory kind of just disappeared during this time because so many of the childcare providers actually didn't come back to work when it was over. Um, you know, they were seeing wages of like $13 an hour. Um, and with inflation, especially, like working in childcare became just untenable for themselves, um, for the workers themselves. And the impact this is having on parents is like every single one of those, you know, 30% of those spots, those were going to be dedicated to a parent that needed that care to go to work. Without that spot they can't work. Um, So that's kind of where we are today, just seeing both a lack of affordability and a lack of availability.
1: So, all right, those were great stats. So 30% of inventory disappeared after COVID, right? People, my neighbor, same exact thing. She ran daycare forever and then COVID hit and it was almost like once she didn't have kids there for a week, she never wanted them back. Um, (laughs) But my question then is, a lot of people are going remote now or hybrid work. So how does that impact this problem? Are people try, like I know in my household, like although my wife has stayed home with the kids for, for a while now, during COVID, it's it's become like work and childcare all in the same household at the same time. So is has that impacted this at all?
2: Well, I think as anybody who has ever tried to work in a house with children probably knows, uh, there's a lot less working and a lot more child care involved. So it's it's a very significant. I mean, like you can't really work and have a child at home uh, in any real way. That child and especially if that child is under five, they need an extreme level of supervision. So in the instances, and we have heard this from employers where they're like, well, we let people work from home, but ultimately like you can't, those are two jobs and you can't do two jobs at one time. So what we've definitely seen and what employers have probably seen is just a lack of productivity among people that are trying to do both. Right. and from a remote standpoint, I think what's changed there is that a lot of the benefits that were previously offered in the childcare space were very tied to in-person workplaces. Right. So you're looking at, you know, great benefits like your bright horizons um, where, you know, an employee can like have a backup care place near their house. And now with remote, we're seeing parents move. Move elsewhere. So those brick and mortar solutions may no longer be working for those employers who are offering them. And you're seeing the efficacy of those solutions uh, maybe potentially go down.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the benefits around childcare that companies have been offering? Because this is something that I, and I'm not in HR every day, right? Jess, you may know this already, but as a parent, as I was kind of going through it, I felt like companies did very little in terms of providing financial help with childcare. And I always thought that was somewhat strange because a lot of people left the workforce um, to the reasons you spoke to, but what benefits are out there
2: yeah. So the benefits that are that and historically, you're right. Uh, employers were not doing a lot when it came to child care. Those that have been uh, have been highly involved. So I know, like Patagonia is one that always comes to mind. They actually offer onsite child care, which is always an option. Um, like Facebook also offered onsite child care. By the way, that's one of the best like retention benefits that you could possibly offer. It's Lord, like, you can reduce. It's tax deductible, not entirely, but a lot. Um, and so that that is one type of benefit, but it was very rare uh, when people implemented it. They saw really incredible things, like you know equity in the you know gender equity in the C-suite and things like that. So it's been an amazing case study for offering childcare benefits, but it's one of the ones that are offered you know the least simply because you have to be a really large employer, and just starting one of those centers usually starts around four hundred thousand um, dollars. So that's one. The one that we've seen the most is backup childcare. Um, so backup child care are for the days that, you know, maybe your child is sick, they can't go to their regular child care center, they need a second one, or maybe their daycare is closed for the day, now they need an alternative. So those backup child care benefits are really great for, for instance, anybody that has to, you know, think about like a manufacturing role where you really need somebody, where you really need like an actual person there in the flesh, or there's going to be significant amounts of lost productivity. So that backup care has been one of the ones that I think employers could really see the ROI on. They're like, you know, I, it's not really a cost center because we're negating some other profit losses now, increasingly, um, there's more benefits like Kinside um, where, you know, Kinside actually helps people find their primary childcare and through our partnership with Urban Center, also that backup care, but it's kind of an all-in-one option um, and employers can choose to participate it, participate in it in different ways. So we're, we're starting to see more flexible childcare mm-hmm. options. So for instance, with Kinside, the employer has the option to maybe just give access to the platform so parents can see the active open spots in their area, view pricing, easily book tours, work directly with a concierge. But then there's a secondary piece where they can actually start offering child care subsidies. So actually paying for a piece of that child care, maybe partially funding a dependent care FSA. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, a dependent care FSA, you can set aside $5,000 Still not enough um, in pre-tax funds um, to pay for childcare. So one of the things our platform does is make that a lot easier. So parents can actually pay their provider directly on KinSide using those funds. Uh, but yeah, we're starting to see more parents or more employers that are putting actual financial resourcing behind the childcare itself um, because they know that in they know that it's a great benefit for actually attracting and retaining um, their employee base
0: yeah I think it's interesting um, for our listeners maybe to learn a little bit more about some of those tax benefits as I think some depending on the size of the organization that they've come from those have been very much present within their their total benefits package but then maybe for and I'm I'm drawing some of my own conclusions here but maybe for those listening that have are earlier in their career so and they don't have children yet so they it's They haven't been interested in seeking that information out and or work for smaller organizations where those um, tax deductions have not been available to them um, is something that they probably would be interested in learning more about. So outside of a dependent care FSA, are there other um, tax benefits to any of the, the child care options that you mentioned, Brittany?
2: Um for parents, they so for parents, not really. Uh for employers, there actually is um uh, there are incentives. So I mentioned this when I talked about the on-site child care. So a huge portion of that is tax deductible. Um and also if you offer a benefit like Kinside, I'm not allowed to give tax advice publicly uh because that has to be handled by the accounting department. But there's also ways to um make partially funding, you know, that childcare care tax deductible. Got it. So on behalf of the employers and for parents, there's also a lot of subsidies out there that they may not know about. So government subsidies, not necessarily having to do with taxes, but just subsidies based on income level um, and availability on like a state or county wide basis.
0: Got it. So we've One could probably uh, read between the lines here on what the benefits would be to an employer who makes this a priority for their employers, but could, from your perspective, being in the business, could you share maybe what you feel would be an advantage or advantages to employers investing more time, energy, and money towards um, childcare services for their employees?
2: Absolutely. I think that childcare is one of the stickiest benefits that there actually is. And of course, there's a couple different ways to offer a childcare benefit and they all have, you know, they're, they're separate kind of, their separate benefits, but you're looking at, you know, imp- I mean, just from an attraction standpoint, um, being able to connect a working parent with childcare, um, may allow them to actually come to join the company in a way that they wouldn't have been able to alternatively. So from an attraction standpoint, it's right there. I know just from our parent surveys that I believe it was like 88% of parents said they feel like their employer cares more about them just because they offer a childcare benefit. But you're you're for every single parent that you're helping kind of reduce either the financial or tactical burden of childcare on, um, you are basically making that decision between like, you know, between when they're deciding, hey, is it worth it for me to pay to work? You know, uh, Because that's basically what you're doing as a working parent. They are paying to be at work and they're making that decision easier for those parents. So you're naturally going to see the retention benefits there, um, especially long-term in times of inflation. If some of those needs are being met by their employer, they're much, much more likely to stay. They're much like less likely to leave because childcare is unaffordable and they need a different job that's gonna pay more. Um, so you're definitely gonna see see those benefits directly. And then just on a day-to-day basis, lost productivity because the daycare is closed. So those backup care benefits, you're gonna have that person working versus not having them working. So for so long, it was looked at as a cost center, um, childcare benefits. And I think that's why to Michael's point, it really wasn't being offered that widely. Now, I think there was a study um, that Springboard put together that showed 42% of employers were looking to add a child care benefit now. So they're starting more and more to see those benefits because they've actually seen what happens when they don't offer them, which is like a mass exodus. So today we have the same number of women in the workforce as we did in like the 1980s. We wiped out like 30% <laughs> 30 years of progress for workforce participation and um, so, just like wanting to reverse and undo some of that is the is what's incentivizing, I think, a lot of employers to start adding this to their suite of benefits and recognizing it as not just a family issue, but truly a business issue.
1: Brittany, are you seeing? So, there's kind of two pieces. There's you guys are offering a platform that allows people to easily access this stuff, um, but then there's also the financial side. Right, like okay, you can help me find it, but I still have to pay for it somehow. Are you guys negotiating rates? Like, are are these providers saying, "Hey, if we're on the Tensite platform, we're going to offer a better rate for these employees"? Are you so? Are you guys actually reducing the cost as well?
2: We are. So we partner with tens of thousands of providers across the country. And what we're doing um, and what's unique about Kinsight is that we're actually leveraging the volume of the employer based system. So I mentioned those 3000 employers before. So we're leveraging the volume of all of those, you know, millions of employees in order to negotiate preferred rates on behalf of those employers. So you're looking at an average discount of about, you know, 10% off annual care. And even though childcare margins tend to be razor thin by creating a new transparency into which spots are open, we help them fill those spots more efficiently too. So they're actually like saving, they're saving funds on like what might be empty spots that were just not being publicly communicated. Right. Yep. So we're helping them run more efficiently. And because of that, we're able to negotiate those preferred rates, but you really do need a tremendous amount of volume in order to be able to, uh, in order to be able to actually like make those strides forward and and get those unique offerings.
1: So just out of curiosity on this, um, how does, how do you pay for Kinside? (laughs) Like, I mean, do they, do you guys, is it just, we pay Kinside and we implement it and we use it or I'm just for people that are maybe wondering, like, how do they implement this?
2: Absolutely. So typically Kinside is um, an employer sponsored benefit. So they will pay, the employer will pay for access, unlimited access to their employee base to both our platform and our full service concierge. Like I said, in some cases, they can add backup care nannies, they'll pay for access to that as well. And then um, that's it. So, that's how it's implemented on the baseline level. And then we will work directly with an employer to actually better understand the needs of their employee base. So, let's say it is a company with a large manufacturing population in a childcare desert. They're going to need some additional support in order to really solve the business problem that they're having as a result of childcare, right? Because you know they're going to have super high levels of absenteeism, probably very late employees who are going elsewhere to find childcare and come back. So, we can actually work directly with that employer to come up with solutions work with our partners to even create new inventory in certain areas. Um, if we see a massive delta between the um, the budget that we're, that the employees are, are searching for and then the actual cost of care in the area, we can also give recommendations to that employer as we go and as we continue to work with them and gather more data around hey we think if you subsidized a portion of this care that there would be a real ROI there. Um, so we can we can implement, we can do our initial implementation and then expand upon that implementation as we start to see more and more employee data. Um, on our end, we'll also always be in our area increasing and growing our partner network around that employer. Um, so if you have employees absolutely everywhere all over the country in Juneau, Alaska, and our network is light there, or we see that there's a real childcare problem there, we're gonna do everything we can to really get into that market expand the inventory and the employer can luckily just know that it's being taken care of without having to take too active a role outside of paying that kind of initial fee. Um, Occasionally they want to actually sponsor like priority openings in an area so we can work with the employer to do that. Um, Kind of guarantee, guarantee spots, work on creating near site openings, stuff like that. Mm -hmm.
0: That subsidy recommendation is really interesting. Um, Out of curiosity, You know, when you are able to put the ROI in front of an employer in one of those situations, are you finding that that's something that employers are open to, or do you get a lot of pushback on that?
2: Yeah, I think some of them are open to it, but it depends how acutely they're experiencing the pain. Um, so when they're really experiencing that pain of being like, hey, we have certain manfa- manufacturing quotas that we have to reach, and there's no way we're going to reach them, at the, you know, the current level of the current number of employees or the current absentee level, then of course it makes sense to actually help sponsor that. I think in other cases, they're just there are employers that are saying like, no, that's a family issue. They have to deal with it on their own. Um, and that's not, that's not a piece that we want to get involved with. And I think you're going to see that the contribution is probably directly, um, is probably directly in line with the efficacy as well.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, in addition to the subsidies, as you were answering Mike's earlier question, it was making me think about like sliding scales based on income. Is that also something that you guys offer? You or know, we have employer haven't... offers based on leveraging your services. So that's
2: an awesome question. And actually, like I gotta write that down somewhere, adding it to our, our suite of benefits of, of actually like maybe making recommendations around that sliding scale. Typically, and you guys know this best as people with deep involvement in HR, but benefits equity is something that comes up all the time. So we know on behalf, there's there's definitely a feeling on behalf of employers that they want benefits to be fair across the board. It's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why we wanted to add elder care and and pet care benefits as well. Uh, But there is that benefits equity piece where like the idea is that everybody should get the exact same benefit regardless. Um, Mm -hmm. But I still like the idea of a sliding scale because I do think it could really work to solve a lot of the problems that businesses are facing while reducing the initial financial investment um, by avoiding kind of applying it across the workforce.
0: Well, you kept using manufacturing as an example, which I'm really glad that you did, because that's that resonates with me a lot as somebody who works for an organization that has a manufacturing wing and as somebody who's worked in staffing um, and is staffed for organizations that ha- have large manufacturing uh, uh, pieces of their, their business. I know what a struggle that can be to staff those roles, the amount of tardiness that occurs. Um locations where um, there tend to be a lot of manufacturers uh, or a lot of organizations that need manufacturing uh, workers or light industrial workers. There tends to be a ton of competition. You know, one person down the street's like, I'm offering $22 an hour, where the other guy or gal down the street's like, well, I'm offering $21 an hour. So, you know, having a childcare service Um, or subsidizing or having a sliding scale that makes it more affordable for a manufacturing employee who does tend to make less money than a professional level employee, I could see how that could really set an employer apart and also help to retain um, that light industrial employee.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you offer or you um have have spoken a, a little bit briefly just about some of the other offerings as it pertains um to uh pet care. And did you mention elder care? As I well? did, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about some of those other benefits and um how heavily they are are being used by employers in addition to the child care services?
2: So how heavily they are or aren't being used by the employers. I wish I had those stats, those exact stats on me. But what I can say is that um, we're at a really interesting point in terms of um, where so many, especially like latter millennials are, where they're, you know, parents, and then they're also maybe caregiving for an elderly relative. So it's what's called like the sandwich generation. And these are the same people that like, have not saved for retirement. So having these like dual burdens can just be so 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 challenging on the uh on these types of employees who like you know they're barely making ends meet. So being able to actually have um any level of financial support there is really important. We're definitely seeing more, we we don't have so much data because our partnership with com- our complete care partnership is, is still new, but I know that a lot of employers are very excited about the idea of being able to offer both, um, especially um, as, you know, especially thinking through like a long-term relationship with your employee and how your obligations may change. First, you're dealing with childcare or even, and you may eventually like need that elder care resource. So really having support for the employees, like across the life, their lifespan at a company and their lifespan in general, really.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think some would argue, um, that having peace of mind with help from with help for a family member who is maybe aging or perhaps is recovering from a surgery and they need additional care. Um, some might argue is as important or valuable to them as childcare. (laughs) So I think that that's great that you're offering that service.
1: So for companies that are offering subsidies, what have you seen in terms of like percentage? Is it we're paying for the whole thing? Is it 50 percent, 25? Like what contributions have you seen in that space, Brittany?
2: So one of the most popular contribution sizes is actually the $5,000. So actually funding that dependent care FSA is a popular option. It's one that we like to recommend to a lot of the employers we work with because you're seeing those dollars go a lot further given that they are pre-taxed. Um, and then the average childcare cost, depending on the area, is usually between like ten dollars and $20,000 per year. So the percentage just depends on the geography of the employee. But that $5,000 is a pretty popular amount. If they're doing it outside of kind of the dependent care functionality, we're seeing on average like a $250 a month. So same thing about like a 20, 25% contribution um, overall, but depending on the geography, that is definitely the uh the determinant of the percentage, Mm -hmm. of course.
1: Is there any legislation that or or, are people pushing on legislators to, because to me, like you just said, the average is 10 to $20,000 a year for child care, which I've seen firsthand 5,000 bucks for the FSA. Like, it just, it just seems like not enough. And I'm wondering if, if there are movements to change some of this stuff to, to help out in, in addition to what you guys are doing on, on your side.
2: It is definitely, definitely, definitely not enough. Um, so, just as a reference, what's considered affordable um, in terms of childcare, like the technical definition of childcare affordability, is that it would cost 7% of an employee's household income uh, or of a parent's household income. So, we are looking at or more of the average household income. So like Mm. it's so far outside the realm of affordability at this point that you are exactly right. Like it's not even close to enough, this 5,000. And actually during the pandemic, it was increased to 10,000. I was positive that they were going to keep it at 10,000 because it had not changed since I think it was either 1982 or 1985 and the cost of care has skyrocketed since that time yeah. so like it was completely out of step i absolutely thought that it was going to stay there and then instead they offered the childcare sub the childcare tax credits that we were seeing that like the actual subsidies that were going directly into parents bank accounts during the pandemic um but then they got rid of the, both of them at the exact same time so all of this resourcing that they had put out for parents because they saw you know the impact it was having on workforce participation um you know, they, they reversed them all. They never got the major child care bill passed through. So there's definitely still many people advocating for a return to the 10,000. I'm hopeful that that will get that done. And I know that I think it, like the United States is really far behind almost all developed nations in terms of the share of mothers with young children who are actually working uh, in participating in the workforce. So I think the most recent research was suggesting that child care subsidies uh, like further childcare subsidies. So maybe that is in the form of a tax credit. Maybe it's just a regular subsidy, but it would allow more than 1 million U.S. moms to return to the workforce. So mm-hmm. the boon on economic activity for the government would like automatically pay for that change.
1: Yeah, that's, that's how I looked at it too. It's like you're protecting yourself from people not paying tax on something, but if they leave the workforce, you're getting zero. So exactly. it, it seems like such an easy ROI in my mind. Um, Well, I I really appreciate Jess. Do you have any other questions before we? I
0: don't have any other questions. I just have a comment because if if for any of our regular listeners um, that have listened to our previous uh, podcast episodes, you've heard us talk about um, how far, um, you know, how far behind the U.S. is compared to other countries in terms of even um, parental leave. Um, we've got a we've have a specific episode on parental leave. So if you're listening to this episode for the first time and you kind of want to wrap maybe some frustration around our terrible parental leave um, as far as the United States is concerned, along with how much work we have to do from the, you know, the United States supporting families from a childcare perspective, maybe couple of these two episodes together. But I think about I'll just use Canada as an example. I think they get a minimum of six months. It may even be a year of paid leave off after having a child. So you think about the amount of child care that you save as a family by being able to stay home with your child, as well as the bonding and all the benefits that come with just being able to spend that much time at home with a new child and your employer is paying you. You also have job protected leave. So you're not stressed out about... Well, when I am ready to go back, my job might not be there for me. And then when you were do when you do return, now you have these incredible benefits that make it really affordable for you to put your child in care and also continue your career. So I'm just having a soapbox moment because it's just really frustrating to me just how far behind we are and how other countries have figured this out and have figured it out for decades. And I just don't understand why it's it's so the U.S. finds it so complicated.
1: Okay. Trying to agree more. Yeah.
0: So thank you, Brittany, for, you know, coming on to talk about this um, topic. That's really important. Obviously, one I'm passionate about. Mike is, too, as a um, coming from a family of three, three kiddos. Um, so if you could tell our listeners where they can find you, learn, you know, connect with you on this topic if they're interested and or learn more about Kinside.
2: Absolutely. So our website is www.kinside.com slash employers. If you're an employer that wants to reach out, you can schedule a demo of the product directly on the website, or you can email me directly. It is Brittany at kinside.com. And that is B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y at K-I-N-S-I-D-E.com. Awesome.
1: How about social media? If people want to follow you and just learn more about the topic?
2: At Get Kinside on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook.
1: Awesome. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. I'll make sure to include all of that in the show notes so that people can reach out and uh, appreciate the work you guys are doing. And thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It was great to chat with you both.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcshurm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City SHRM or our upcoming events, Please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WhatTheHR at checkout to receive twenty dollars off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.